Hey, good morning, Victory Church. How you doing? Come on, put your hands together. Happy Easter. Happy Easter. Happy Easter. My name is Troy. My wife, Darla, and I get the absolute privilege to pastor this church. And uh, if you're visiting with us, as, as Zoe said, I, I love to reiterate, in front of you right now, there's a connection card uh, in the seat in front of you. You're going to be able to use that for a couple of things today. One would be connecting. So if you're visiting and you say, man, uh, I like what's happening. I want to get more connected. Maybe it's small groups. Maybe it's serving on a dream team, whatever it might be. Fill that out. Take it to the desk. We got a gift for you. But also towards the end of the service, you have an opportunity. If you haven't already chosen to follow Jesus with your life, you have an opportunity to make that decision. And you can use that card for that as well. And let us know so that our team can follow up with you and just answer any questions. Uh, it's an exciting day. As Brian mentioned, we had our nine o'clock service, all right? And, and it was packed out. We didn't have one seat. We had a few people in the overflow room. And then we got a good crowd in there for our 1030. Come on, somebody. So I made them do it at the 9 because I, I'm, I'm, I'm picking this together that if you came to the 9 today, that 9's your service. If you came to 1030 today, 1030 is your service. So look at the person beside you and say, you better be back here next week. All right, go and tell them, you better be back here next week. This is your service. We, we started this for you. Uh, we're just excited to be able to make room for growth. We continue to see people from our area coming in and checking out, and so it's just cool to find a way. We were at a point where we literally couldn't put people in here anymore, and so it's fun to be able to make more room. Thank you for all of our Dream Team members that are making that possible, and that means you need to join a Dream Team, all right? We need you to be able to help us do this. Uh, so anyway, all right, hey, if you got your Bibles, turn to the book of Romans chapter 5, Romans chapter 5. You can follow along with us on your phone. You can follow us along on an app, on our app, or your Bible, or if nothing else, uh, on the screen behind my head. Romans 5 might be kind of a different Easter verse, but I think you're going to enjoy it today. As you're getting there, let me kind of explain to you the context of the series we've been in, so to make a little bit more sense of what we're talking about today. We've been in a series called This Is Also True, where we went through things like, um, I, I may be in trouble, but I'm not troubled, right? Or I'm, I'm not okay, but that's okay. Or I have a past, and I have a future. Um, we, the very first one was talking about how I have doubts and I have faith. And so what we were doing is we were taking different things that may be true, but, but could be seen negative or maybe even a, a word from the enemy, right, that would cause us to doubt our faith in God. Uh, and then we were coming at it with something that was what we call truer and the idea of what Scripture is saying. And so there was a, this is true, but this is also true. And I believe today is probably going to be one of our favorites. So let's get to reading in Romans chapter 5. Uh, this is the Apostle Paul talking to the church in Rome. Jesus has come. He has died. He has resurrected. He has flipped the law upside down and, and created a new covenant where no longer are people going to heaven by following the law. They're going to heaven by believing in Jesus. And he says something very, very profound in Romans chapter 5 that I think is great for our Easter Sunday. So let's do this together. It says, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Okay, so when Adam, Adam and Eve, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam sinned brought death. So death spread to everyone for everyone what? Sinned. So everyone sinned. Yes, people sinned even before the law was given, but it was not counted as sin because there was not yet any law to break. And still everyone died from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even those who did not disobey an explicit commandment of God as Adam did. Now Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ who was yet to come goes on to say, but there's a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death for many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many 
through this other man, Jesus Christ. So he's saying through one man, Adam brought sin for many. Through Jesus brought grace for many. For the sin of this one man, oh, sorry. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation. But God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man. And let's say it together, Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? I want to talk to you for a moment this morning from this idea. I'm good, but not good enough. You know, there's a temptation for us to start to believe that we're good. But the truth is that we'll never be good enough. Recently, Darla and I, a little while ago, Darla and I put together this chart system for our kids. We have a 13-year-old and an 8-year-old, both girls. And we were trying to figure out a system by which we could help manage behavior. And uh, all my parents know what that's like. You're trying to figure out how to do it effectively and at the same time, you know, make progress and have success. And we came up, and I'm not saying this is the way you should do it, but this is what we had come up with with our brains, is there was this, this system, this chart. It was about four weeks and if the kids had a good day, they got a check mark. And if the kids did not have a good day, they got just a little dash. And by the time that four weeks was over, how many check marks they had coincided with what kind of gift or prize they would get. And so it was just a system. So it caused them every day to kind of evaluate, am, am I being good today so I can get a check mark? Again, don't judge us. We're just trying to figure out how to parent, okay? If you figured it out, let me know. And so one, one day I'm sitting there with Darla and Casey Ray walks up. She's our eight-year-old. And she, she's asking these questions and, and making these statements to us. You can tell she's trying to justify and figure out if she's been good, you know, if she should be able to earn a check mark. And so she's saying things like this. She's going, you know what, Mom? Uh, me and Veda have not fought today at all. You know, like she's just putting it out there. Like, I want you to know I'm doing great today. Uh, she said, we haven't fought. She said, I haven't lost my temper at all today, mom, not, not once. She said, and I haven't been angry, and she's listening to all this stuff, and, and so she kind of gets to the end of it, and she, she pops the question, you know, she goes, so, you know, have I been, have I been good today? And Darla sits back, and she says, uh, yes, baby, you have. You've been good today. She said, but you've only been awake for 15 minutes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you ever been there? You know what I'm talking about? Like, like I'm doing good, but I, I, it made me think about that old joke. I don't know if y'all remember it, where somebody's like, you know, they're talking to God and they're like, I haven't yelled at anybody today and I haven't cussed at anybody today and I haven't been angry today, but I'm about to get out of bed. And so when I get out of bed, you know, I need you to be with me, God. It's just one of those things for us where like, hey, even when I'm trying to do good, there are going to be moments where I'm not good enough, right? I think over time, Christianity has been communicated to some that it's this American religion of hard work that you and I are supposed to do good which will result in us feeling good, which will then result in maybe God will say, we good, <laughs> right? If we do good, that'll mean we'll feel good. And by the time we do good and feel, God, feel good, then maybe God will say, hey, we good. But here's the problem. Good is a moving target, right? Like it's hard for us to really measure good. There, there isn't even really a measurement out there that is a clear, decisive, black and white, this is what good is. For example, what's good at 
five is different than what's good at 35, right? And so it's just depending on what season of life you're in and what age you are and all these kind of things. It's just, it's just constantly moving. And if we're not careful, what we'll do, because it's constantly moving, we'll start to compare ourselves to other people, right, and try to use how other people act to define and decide what good is. And so we surround ourselves with people who aren't as good as us so that we can look good, right? And so there's just not really a clear target on it. It's constantly moving. And this is what was happening when Jesus comes on the scene, both when Jesus was born, but also when Jesus begins his ministry. What's happening in culture is the, the, the line of what was good and what was not good has become blurred. They started off with 10 commandments from Moses that they had to follow, and man took them and added to them. And by the time Jesus is doing his ministry, there are over 600 laws that men have to follow from 10 to 600. It was so blurred because here's what would happen is the religious leaders would find ways and and put together loopholes so that they could get around the law even though other people had to follow it. Like they, there was a law that you couldn't divorce your wife, but the religious leaders of that time had found loopholes, watch this, where they could divorce their wives if she burnt their dinner. Now, now don't get any ideas, all right? Y'all need to, y'all need to settle down. But that, that's how extreme it was. That was the loopholes that they had created, that there were these heavy laws on everybody else, but they weren't having to abide by them. And as a result of that, what was happening is the people were exhausted. They, they were trying to perform and trying to behave so that they could go to heaven. They were trying to act holy so they'd be like God and that God would love them and want to be near them. And it was impossible. It was exhausting. And I think if you and I were honest for a moment, we don't need religion to tell us that we aren't good enough, right? I don't know about you. I don't need a church service to tell me that I'm not good enough. I am completely aware of my shortcomings And the truth of the matter is, is that I often fall short of my own expectations, much less God's, right? Am I the only one in the room? Anybody else in here? Like, I fall short so much of my own expectations, much much less God's. And eventually, this frenzy of good works ends up leading us to be exhausted because we feel like we're trying to belong somewhere that we don't belong. When we lived in Memphis... Uh, I, I bought some tickets to take us to a Memphis Grizzlies basketball game. Now, I've been very honest with you since we launched this church about how cheap I am. So I bought the $7 nosebleed tickets, you know what I mean? Like the price I could pay for a Chipotle burrito, I'm at a professional NBA game. Like something's not, you know, I'm so high, I'm on the roof of the building. The players are like that big, you know what I mean? I'm trying to figure out like, you know, you'd be better off watching it at home. But I just, I wanted to be there. I love basketball. It was exciting. And I'm watching it. Darla's there because I've made her come, and, and so all of a sudden she's like, you know what, babe, there's all of these empty seats closer to the court. Like, why don't we get up and go down into one of those seats? And I get in, like, look, we can't do that, okay? Here's the deal. Like, those are not our seats. We didn't pay for that. Like, I'm a rule follower, you know what I mean? That's my problem. I follow the rules. Darla, she's a rule breaker, right? That's what she does. And so I said, listen, I'll make a compromise because I like being married. What we'll do is at a halftime, we'll go down there because if they're not there by halftime, they're probably not coming. And so we'll sneak down and get in the seat. And so we did. And we successfully made it. We got to a good seat. We're really close to the court. And Darla is having a blast. And I am miserable. 
And here's why I'm miserable. It's because I know I don't belong in those seats. You know what I mean? And so every time somebody comes walking down the aisle, I think they're there to remove me. I'm like, like they're not even looking at me. And I'm like, hey, sir, are we in your seat? Is this you, A1 and A2? Like, we can get up. She's a liar. It's our problem. She, she's a sinner. This is why we're sitting here. We should, this is your seat, sir. You should sit down. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't even matter. They are walking past me, and I'm like, I know. I'm in your seat, right? Like, I was so guilty. I was miserable. It took me to, like, the last two minutes of the game before I could actually sit down with peace and be like, maybe, <laughs> just maybe, they're not going to come claim these seats as the last 50 seconds ticks off this clock. Like, it's just possible. It was terrible, because I didn't belong there. Like, I belonged up there, you know what I mean, in the miniature seats for $7. Like, I didn't belong where I was. And so there was this weird feeling for me because I felt like I, the whole time I felt like somebody was going to come tell me, you shouldn't be sitting here. You know what I mean? Like, you didn't pay for these seats. You don't belong here. You need to go sit somewhere else. That's what I just kept on feeling. And I think that's why the gospel is so liberating. It's why the message of Jesus is so unique and so attractive is because what the message of Jesus is saying is, listen to me, is that we no longer have to behave to belong. It's important to understand that we no longer have to feel like we're sitting in seats that we didn't pay for. We no longer have to constantly look over our shoulder and wonder at what point is somebody going to come tell us, hey, you, A1 and A2, you need to go. We need to leave. What we're understanding is that our reconciliation with God is not based on rules, but based on relationship, yeah. right? And so because of the resurrection, which is what we're celebrating today, because of the resurrection, I've been able to say all of these, this is also true statements for the past few weeks. I've been able to say that you and I can have faith and doubt simultaneously because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I've been able to say that we can both be not okay and that be okay because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I've been able to say that we can be, we can be in trouble and not be troubled because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We can have a past and have a future because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And all of these are able because of the fact that he rose from the grave. And I think today's is, is this probably is the best one to me. And here's what it is. I'm a sinner and I'm righteous. I'm a sinner. Righteous means right with God. So I'm a sinner and I'm right with God. I'm both. Everybody say I'm both. I'm both. Let's look at what Romans 5 said. Paul lays it out pretty accurately. He says, consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. Watch, this is my favorite part. For just as through the disobedience of the one man that made many sinners, so also through the obedience of one man made many righteous. Did you catch that? Come on, somebody. Where you at? Just because of the actions of one man made many sinners, the obedience of one man made many righteous. So I'm both. I'm a sinner. Here's what Paul's saying. Because of Adam, I am a sinner. This is true. Because of Christ, I am righteous. This is also true. Did you catch it? 
Because of Adam, I'm a sinner. Because you woke up this morning and your flesh was trying to get you to do something, you're a sinner. Because you were born in sin, you're a sinner. Because you're still on this earth trying to figure out how to deal with culture and be a Christian, you're a sinner. This is true. But because Christ died and because Christ rose again, you are righteous. You are made right with God. This is also true. Don't get me preaching this early. Somebody said, I'm coming to the nine because I want you with your full energy. I said, you must not know me. <laughs> the only righteousness, the only righteousness that we can possibly meet God's demand, the only righteousness that could possibly meet God's demand is that which he alone provides through Jesus. I love this thought. Jesus was treated as a sinner, though he was righteous, so that you and I could be righteous, though we are sinners. Did you catch that? I'm going to say it again. It's too good. Y'all ain't, ain't shouting me down enough. Jesus was treated as a sinner, though he was righteous, so that you and I could be treated as righteous, though we are sinners. we got to understand that today. We have to understand that we've got to quit trying to hide how messy we are. Quit trying to come in with masks and pretend that we don't have problems. Pretend that we didn't make a mistake. Pretend that you didn't say something you shouldn't have said to the kids on the way to church this morning. All right? It happens. We got to quit pretending that we aren't messy. Because God doesn't hide the fact that messy is exactly the type of people he came to save. Right? He came to save messy people. I started thinking about kitchen Christianity. You say, what's kitchen Christianity? I went to a restaurant one night, and the dining room was all fancy. You know what I mean? But I got the opportunity to go into the kitchen, and the kitchen was a hot mess. You know what I mean? And so a lot of times we try to pretend like the kitchen doesn't exist. We just come in with the dining room. But listen to me. Jesus knows about the kitchen. He knows about the kitchen. It's okay that we're messy. He died for messy people. I'm both. Say it, I'm both. Darla and I, when we got married, you know, we had to go through the whole name changing thing. If you've been married, you know the chaos that that is. You got to get your marriage certificate and you got to go around and you're changing your driver's license and you're changing this bill and that bill. And then you find out you forgot about something and two months later something comes in the mail and it's got your surname on it and all these different things. And it's just, just insane. It's a crazy experience. And so I remember recently, well, not recently, but recently after we got married, we went to go change something. I couldn't remember exactly what it was, but, but we're going through the process. And, and she brought two things. I think it was a bill and her driver's license. And her bill said Darla Powell, because that was what she made into Darla Powell. And then her driver's license said Darla Hines, which was her before we got married name, right? So Dar Darla Hines and then Darla Powell. I don't know about you, but Darla Powell sounds like that was made to go together. Like, I just think that's what, when God made her, he was like, you're Troy's. This is what's going to happen. Um, so we go, we sit down. And this guy's trying to be funny. You know people who they work jobs where they shouldn't be funny, but they're trying to be funny. And so he sees it, and he goes, all right, you know, Darla Hines. He looks at it, he goes, all right, Darla Powell. And he looks at her, trying to be funny. He goes, well, which one are you? <laughs> you know, and we're just like, bro, can you, we leave? she can be Rebecca. I don't care. Let's just leave. We got to go home. Um, and so Darla, being quick on her feet, he goes, well, which one are you? And she goes, you know what? I'm both. And I loved it. And the Lord reminded me of it because I started thinking about it like this. Watch this. She's Darla Hines by birth, right? She's Darla Powell by relationship. Do you catch it? She's both. She's one by birth and one by relationship. You're a sinner by birth, 
but you're righteous by relationship, all right? You're a sinner because you were born into sin. It's because Adam sinned, you were born into sin, but you are righteous because of a relationship, a covenant with Christ. Somebody say, I'm both. I'm both. I'm a sinner by birth, but I'm righteous by Jesus Christ. I'm righteous by the resurrection. I'm righteous by the crucifixion. I may be a sinner by birth, but I done got married, baby. I'm going to pass out for a second, huh? I'm righteous. I'm both. Like, Troy, I don't know if you should be that excited about being a sinner. Like, you know, I'm just my kind of church, you know. I'm not excited about being a sinner. I'm excited that my sin doesn't identify who I am. I'm excited that even though I was born into sin, it's not my actions or my doing. I was made righteous by Christ. Because the moment we start to believe that we have to perform and do to be able to change sin to righteousness, guess what? We're back in that full circle of exhaustion. But when we can walk out of here in excitement that we're made righteous in Christ, walk out of here and we want sanctification, we want to grow, we want to be better, not because we have to be to be accepted by God, but because God loves us and we want to be. You see, today matters. You know, you know Easter is such an interesting holiday because obviously it's tradition to go to church, it's what we do, but a lot of people don't even know why they do it. A lot of people, you know, their parents might have dragged them into church or they just know it's a tradition and we come in here and we don't really understand why this day matters as opposed to any day. And I'm the first one to say I celebrate the resurrection every Sunday. I get it. I honor Easter as a holiday, but I'm celebrating the resurrection every Sunday because it matters. The resurrection matters because, and here's why, our righteousness, your righteousness is not founded on a religious experience. It's not founded on a book. Your righteousness is not founded on an experience you had at a prayer night or a youth group. It's not even founded on you being in church today. Thank God you're in church today because you should be. But it's not founded on the fact that you're in church today. It's not even founded on the book. Your righteousness is founded on an event. The fact that Jesus Christ came walking out of the grave. Because when he came walking out of the grave, everything else that he said was true. I said this earlier. All right. If somebody tells you Jesus said he was going to die, and then he did. And then Jesus said he was going to rise from the grave on the third day, and then he did. So if you met somebody who told you they were going to die, and then they did, and they told you they were going to rise from the grave, and then they did, you listen to anything else they say, right? Anything else they say must be the truth. And this is why the resurrection matters Because everything else he said was true. If he said he was going to die, and he did, and he said he was going to rise from the grave, and he did, then watch this. When he said that you're made righteous through Christ, he was telling the truth. If he doesn't walk out of the grave, then everything else that he said is questionable. And therefore, the problem is that you and I are now left up to our own good graces. You and I, it's up to us on whether or not we're perfect or imperfect. If he doesn't walk out of the grave, maybe he's just another great prophet. Maybe he's just a really nice guy. But the fact that he walked out of the grave made evidence of who he was and therefore brought accuracy and truth 
to what he said. He did walk out of the grave. And when he did, impossible went out the window. When he came out of the grave, everything that our minds can wrap around and we try to say, what well, doesn't make sense, was gone. It opened the possibility of you and I to a new identity, one based on, watch this, how God sees us, not how we see ourselves. It, it, it made real what I call the great trade. When Jesus came out of the grave, all of these different trades that he had promised us became accurate, became real. Trades like, uh, I'm going to take your imperfections and give you my perfections. I'm going to take your burdens and give you my yoke, right? I'm going to take your sinfulness and give you my righteousness. When he came out of the grave, all of those promises of this great trade became true. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear that, I kind of fall into this like, that's a bad trade for Jesus. Like, maybe you put a lot of value in yourself, and that's great. But I know what I bring to the table with Jesus. And so I'm often like, man, that's a bad trade for you. <laughs> you know, the Bible says that Christ died for me while I was yet a sinner. The crazy part about it is he died for me before I ever committed to follow him at all. It's a bad trade, Jesus. When I was a kid... I collected trading cards, sports trading cards. Loved them. Still do. And I had all kinds of basketball and football were my main thing. And I had all kinds of people. But, but there were two. There was a football player and a basketball player that were my favorite. And so I had these like special binders that had their pictures on them. And so my, my basketball player was a guy named Penny Hardaway. And so he was born and raised, played in Memphis. I was born and raised in Memphis. I, I loved him. And so I had this, I don't, it was like a bind, like a trapper keeper. And it had, you remember Trapper Keeper? Yeah, I remember Trapper Keeper, y'all remember them? And so we had Penny's picture on it. And all my Penny cards were in that. And then my football player was a guy named Dan Marino. And I had a Dan Marino deal, and all of his cards were in there. And I loved them. And that, that was what was most valuable to me. So I would go to card shops, and I'd say, hey, do you got any Pennies? And I'd buy them. Got any Dan Marinos? I'd buy them. But, but the cards were made to trade. That was kind of the catch. That's why they're called trading cards, is you would find your friends, and y'all would trade. People have cards to trade. So there's this guy that lives in my neighborhood. We're not necessarily friends, but one day he calls me up and he goes, hey, you want to trade some cards? And I said, sure, I'll come down to your house. And so I get down to his house. And he breaks open his cards. I break open mine and we start looking through them and, and he sees a Michael Jordan card that I have. He's like, oh man, I want that Michael Jordan card. And I was like, cool, let's trade for it, you know. And I'm looking through his cards and I see he's got two Penny Hardaway cards that I don't have. And I was like, man, I want those two cards. And he's like, let's trade the Jordan card for the two Penny Hardaway cards. I'm like, great, let's do it. So we make the trade, take two Penny Hardaway cards. I'm happy. I leave. I go home. Next day or so, one of my really good friends comes over, and he collects cards too. And I tell him about the trade. He's like, oh, man, that sounds like a bad trade. I was like, what? He's like, hold on. So he lived next door. So he runs over, and he comes back with this book called a Beckett. For you trading card folks out there, you know what this is. It's like a, it, it, it tells you the worth of all the cards. You can look up the card, look over, and you see the value of the card. So I knew what the Jordan card was, and I told him, and he looked it up. He goes, man, it's worth $50. And I'm like, $50? Because as a 13-year-old, that's like $5 million. You know what I mean? It's like, are you kidding me? I could have bought my mom a house. Like, this is crazy, you know? Or, you know, not even had dinner somewhere. But, you know, whatever. And he said, I said, well, look up the Penny Hardaway cards, because I got two. I got two Penny Hardaway cards. And he looks them up, and he goes, um, eh. he goes, 
They're worth a dollar each. <laughs> it's like, oh man, that stinks. He looked at me, he's like, man. I remember he said, so you got ripped off. You got ripped off, he said, it's a bad trade. And I remember this conversation. I said, you know why it wasn't? He said, because I love Penny Hardaway. I didn't really care about the value of the Jordan card. Because I didn't care about Jordan. But I loved Penny Hardaway. And so for me, what the book said didn't matter. Because for me, it was a good trade. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. Jesus didn't just die for you. He died as you. You say, man, that's a bad trade. (laughs) That's a real bad trade because Jesus is the son of God. And I'm just a sinner. It's a bad trade, right? But you don't understand how much God loves you. So because he loves you, to him it wasn't a bad trade. Ready? I'm about to turn your theology on its head. You ready? God loves you more than he loves his law. He loves you more than he loves his law. Look, he's just, so he has to fulfill the law. So he sends Jesus to die to fulfill the law. But he loves you. And so to him, the trade made sense. To him, he was willing to send Jesus, and Jesus was willing to go. He said, man, that's a bad trade. Jesus got ripped off. No, he didn't because he loves you. He loves you. He didn't just die for you. He died as you. The greatest trade, the greatest reversal, your sin for his righteousness. You know, when you get to the, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, what you're reading is these disciples who have followed Jesus. At some point, they've sat down and they're recording what they experienced. Some, some people believe that because of the lack of education of some of the disciples that they might have been speaking to kind of a ghostwriter. So it'd be like me telling Sam my story and Sam's the one writing it down. So maybe they didn't actually put the pen to paper, but it was their story. Not, you know, it's not necessarily proven. Could have been them physically pending it. But I'm telling you that to tell you this. The point of what you're reading is that it was these guys' experience with God. The Bible says that Jesus is God. He was God made flesh, which means as they were walking with Jesus for three and a half years doing ministry, as they watched him die, as they watched him resurrect, as they watched him ascend to heaven, as they continued on their ministry, they were doing it out of their experience with God. Jesus actually says in scripture, as I do, so the father does. If you want to see the father, then look at me, right? If you want to know how God feels about you, then watch how Jesus feels about people. That's what scripture is telling us. So when you're reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, these guys are telling their experiences. What what they experienced with God while they were with them for three and a half years. Here's what I saw. Here's what I felt. Here's what it was like. Watch this. They didn't even know they were writing the Bible. They didn't know. Nobody pulled them aside and said, hey, we're going to put together a Bible and we need you to write a chapter named after you. That's not what was happening. Here's what they said. You're going to get old. You're going to get senile. You might die. And if you don't write this down, the story dies with you. So can you just write down what you saw and how you felt and what you experienced 
And so the disciples started to do that. And so I just, I'm trying to get in this picture. I wanted to pick John because John, according to John, is the most loved disciple. So I figured that John really got a great picture of God. And so I'm trying to imagine John sitting down. And for the, for the sake of the story, let's just say John has a ghostwriter. And let's, let's pretend like it's happening right here, okay? So you're the ghostwriter, and I'm John. I come in, and I sit down. You say, all right, John, what we're going to do is we're going to need to record all of your experience with Jesus over the past three and a half years. Everything you saw, everything you felt, your perception of God. We need to know how, how if you were going to tell people how to perceive God, what would you say? Tell us about the story when he used the fish and the miracles. Tell us about that time where Peter was walking on water. Like, like tell us all this stuff. And I think John begins to talk. And he begins to tell his story. And how they went here and they went there and they did this. And he gets to this one point, y'all. And what he's trying to do is he's trying to put on paper how God feels about you. Did you imagine that? Now, he doesn't know that you're going to read it, but he's been told if you could sum it up. So he's thinking through it, right? And he's like, all right, all right, grab a pen. Here we go, grab a pen. How God feels about people. And here's where he writes. He goes, for God so loved the world. And I imagine the ghostwriter's like, whoa, 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 whoa. The world? Don't you mean for God so loved Jews? <laughs> Don't you mean for God so loved the religious leaders, the world? And here's what I imagine. John watched Jesus love every ethnicity. He watched Jesus hug and touch and heal every person. No matter their cultural background, no matter their tax bracket, he watched Jesus treat everybody the same way with love. And he didn't quite know how to sum that up and how to list every ethnicity. So he said, I don't know, just put the world. Just put the world. Because he loves the world. Just write, God so loved the world. And the ghost was like, okay, God so loved the world. All right, now what? That he gave us Jesus. That he sent Jesus, gave us his one and only son, to die for our sins. Why? So that we wouldn't die, but we'd have eternal life. And they're like, okay, sounds good. And John goes, oh, put this, put this. That whoever believes, whoever you're getting real vague here, John. We're going to need you to be a little bit more specific. We need some rules. We need some type of measurement guidelines because people are going to be reading this thousands of years from now, and they need to know what they have to do to be good enough to be loved by God. And John said, you missed it. I already told you, Jesus died. So just write whoever. Because whoever, whoever believes in him will not die, but will have eternal life. Somebody say whoever. Whoever. Me. Whoever. Whoever. Whoever believes in him. Well, no. Whoever believes in him will have eternal life. Troy, you meant 
whoever is good enough. No, I didn't. I meant whoever believes in Jesus. Now, here's what I think probably happened. I wasn't there, just so you know. But here's what I think happened. I think the ghostwriter was like, ooh, that sums that up. Let's go ahead and call that a chapter. You know what I mean? Let's make make that your special verse. That's powerful. We can be done for the day. Start to close the book. And I think John said, whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. He said, we need to put one more sentence in there. He said, because if I know people the way I know myself, there's going to be a moment where we question how much Jesus loves us based off of what we do. There's going to be a moment where we think we have to do it. It's going to be a moment where we try to take the wheel back and control it. There's going to be a moment. So, so, so after you say that whoever believes in him will not die but have eternal life, can you add this in? Add this real quick. Right. For God, for God did not send, did not send okay, his son, Jesus, okay, into the world to condemn. But he sent him to save. I'm not good enough. Sometimes the only way that you can qualify is to admit that you don't qualify. Whosoever believes in him not die but have eternal life for God sent Jesus not to tell you that you're not good enough but to show you that he is enough God sent him so that you could be saved do me a favor everybody stand for a second I think it's important to give you that opportunity this morning The Bible says you believe in your heart, you confess with your mouth, and you shall be saved. It's the moment where you say, Jesus, I realize that I'm a sinner, and I believe that Christ died as me on the cross so that I could be saved. My sins are now washed clean. And by admitting that your Savior is Jesus, the Bible says that you're saved. It can't be that easy. It's that easy. Now, then the journey begins where you try to bring God into every decision, your marriage, your finances, your relationships, your job, everything. But your salvation really is easy enough of just saying, Jesus, I believe you died for my sins. So I want to do something real quick. Everybody close your eyes just for a moment. I just want to ask you, if you're in this place and you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, here's what that means. You've never acknowledged that Jesus died for your sins. And you want to do that this morning. You want to say, Jesus, I believe you died for my sins, and I want to be made whole. I want to be made right with God by your sacrifice. Would you just raise your hand for me real quick? Just raise your hand. Just say, that's me. Thank you. That's me. Hallelujah. Now, real quick, I'm going to say a prayer, and I want everybody in this room to say it after me. You ready? Just repeat after me. Say, Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that I can't do anything to make me right with God. But I believe that you, Jesus, died on a cross for my sins. And that you 
made me right with God. Help me to live for you and to follow you. In your name, I pray. Amen. All right, now listen. Once again, it's like, it's that easy. It's that easy. But now the real journey starts, right? Because now the deal is like, how do I bring God into every situation? I need God in my marriage. I need God in my finances. I need God in my family and my relationships. I need God in every aspect. I was telling the dream team before church started this morning, I read this folk tale about Abraham Lincoln. And it was talking about how right around the emancipation of, of slavery, he, he, he at some point somehow came across a young lady who was still in slavery and he purchased her to set her free and so he made that purchase and then he, he told her he said you're free you can go you're free and of course at first she didn't quite understand what he was saying and so there had to be some conversation back and forth and finally he said you can go you can go do what you want follow who you want folktale says that she looked back at him and she said well if what you're saying is true and you're the one who set me free then I choose to follow you, the one who set me free. And I want to challenge you for a second this morning. Those of you that have been saved, those of you that might have just given your heart to Christ, he set us free. He set us free from performance, from acting, from good works. We are righteous in Christ. So let's follow the one who set us free. Amen? Let's ask him to be involved in every aspect of our life. Let's ask him to be involved in our marriage and in our kids and our finances and our job and our dreams and our relationships. Jesus, lead me. I want to follow you. You set me free. And I want to give my life to you. And so that's my challenge for you as you walk out of this place. Is make him the priority again. Make him the leader of your home. The Lord of your life. Amen? thought it might be cool for us to end just for a moment, just kind of speaking the name of Jesus over every aspect of our life. Maybe you came in here this morning, you need to speak the name of Jesus over your marriage. Maybe you need to speak. I talked to a young lady at the end of the 9 o'clock service. She hugged me. She's crying. And she walks away. She goes, I'm speaking the name of Jesus over my whole entire life. I said, let's go. Don't get me started in this parking lot. Hugged another lady. She said, I'm speaking Jesus over my finances. You know what I mean? It's that moment for us to kind of bring back every area of our life and put Jesus over it. And I think over the past few years, a lot of us have kind of lost that. And what a great opportunity and what a great moment to kind of make that rededication. So you do me a favor again, just close your eyes for a second. Just be thinking right now. What's an area over in your life right now that you need to speak the name of Jesus over? Maybe it's your dreams. You need to speak the name of Jesus over it. Maybe it's your health. Maybe it's your mental health. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your kids, your finances the calling God has on your life, unmet expectations. Come on, we need to speak. Get ready. Get ready to just sing and speak the name 
of Jesus. Jesus, right now, we speak your name over our marriages. We speak your name over our family. We speak your name over our finances. We speak your name over our health, our mental health. We ask that you would be the Lord of our life. We commit and recommit our lives to you. We follow you, Jesus, with every day, every day. We want you to be the Lord of every area of our life. Come on, worship team. Begin to take us into that. Hallelujah.